Happy Founders Day. I am blessed um, and honored to be preaching, one, to just be at this church and to be preaching on Founders Day. So when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my mom took me, my sister, her friends to Disneyland. And there's this ride called uh, Thunder Mountain. Anybody know Thunder Mountain if you've ever been to Disney? So as a kid, I used to really love trains. And so since as a big group, when you go to Disneyland, my, uh, we, we tend to split up in small groups. And so my sister at the time liked this boy that I didn't really like. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go with this group while my other family members goes with another group. And to be honest with you, I don't quite know how this happened, but I got lost. I got separated from my sister. And what felt like forever, like wandering around Disneyland, I ended up finding myself at guest services. Um, and guest services, you know, page my mom, Mrs. Hill, please come to guest services. Mrs. Hill, please come to guest services. And before she got there, I would say maybe 30, 45 minutes had passed. And so I began to cry. And so one of the representatives gave me you know, a, free, a free Disney ball, which I was, I was pretty excited. And, and so as my mom walked up, you know, it's like, yay, my mom's here. But the look on her face, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish uh, I was lost a little bit more. <laughs> She was so upset that for that 30 to 45 minutes, she did not know where I was. And the reason she was upset is because I was her one, her only son, and I was the baby, and I was the good one compared to my sister, but I digress. <laughs> but that she loved me so much, and the thought of me being lost and never been found again was, was a scary moment. And I'm sure you can relate if you've ever been, been lost before. In fact, our, our scripture today talk about how Jesus went out of his way to go be with lost people. And so as we get into my sermon, there's, there's three points I want us to look at today. One, Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Two, Jesus eats with sinners. And then three, Jesus invites sinners to repent. So here's the bottom line. Jesus loves lost people. Jesus wants us to love lost people too. And for those of you who have ever been lost, you know that it is no fun. But what is even worse than being lost is realizing that no one is looking for you. So let's pray and ask God to help us invite people on our front lines of who we can minister to. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, knowing that your word will not go out void, that the Holy Spirit will be present, that they would not hear my voice, but they would hear your voice through me. So we ask, Lord, allow the word to penetrate our heart, that we may lead as many people to Christ as possible. In your precious holy name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, for about 10 years, I've been in, in youth ministry. That's kind of been my everyday ministry. That has been, students have literally been on my front line. So, after graduating from college, working three years for the Episcopalian Church, graduating from seminary, God sent me to Florida. 
to be a full-time youth pastor in 2011. This is the first time that I'm going to, that my, my full duty, my 40 plus hours a week is ministering to students. And so a little bit background about, about Comprez. Comprez is a predominantly white church. Well, actually, that's an understatement. I was the only black person in the church. <laughs> and prior to accepting the invitation, I went in there knowing a couple of things. One, there was at least three families that did not like me. They made it known, they told the board, and they said that I was black, I had a squeaky voice, well, okay, I'll give them the squeaky voice part, <laughs> and that I was from the inner city. And I quote, what can someone from South Central, Compton Avenue, teach our students? I accepted the position anyway, knowing that I was being looked at as a sinner. Not the sinner that was immoral, but, but the sinner that didn't look like a Christian. The sinner that may not have practiced Christianity to way that maybe they were practicing Christianity. And so going there, knowing that I have to overcome, the, overcome being an outcast, but still ministering to the people God has called me to minister to. So... When I arrived, there was about a youth group of like 25 to like 30. And so in my high school ministry, I'll start with there. And at this point, there should be an awesome picture up in front. Sweet. See, Mindy and I didn't, Mindy and I didn't practice that, so I like that. So um, my high school ministry. I kid you not, I've had lunch. I've shared a meal with at least one meal with every student that is in that picture. Half of those students I've served multiple meals with. I can prove it. I have the receipts that I turned in for reimbursement to prove that I had meals with these students. In order for me to be able to invite them into a relationship with Christ, I had to meet them on their level. So on Mondays, it was all hands on deck. It was youth group planning the games, planning the lesson, we served dinner, we had the aftermath. It was just, it was organized chaos, as I would call it. And then on Tuesday, it was going to the high school for first lunch and second lunch and, and, and eating with them and, and praying with them because I needed them to know that they were not just a number in the church, but that I wanted to intentionally reach out and have a relationship with them. And then on Wednesday, Every Wednesday for three years from seven to nine was ultimate Frisbee, rain or shine. We only canceled if it was lightning. And technically, if it's lightning and you wait 30 minutes and there's no lightning, you can play again. That's a legit thing. You can look it up. Thursday night, I kind of rested. You got to rest sometimes. Friday night, I would rotate Friday nights and Saturday mornings. Friday night being at the football games, the basketball games, and then Sunday mornings being at the lacrosse games, being at the girls lacrosse games, being at the guys lacrosse games, and then Sunday we would just start it all over again. And it all started with the meal, going to Chick-fil-A, going to, going to McDonald's, doing life together. And then from those relationships, me investing in them, I got to invest and to the students that they knew that were in college that I had not met yet. 
So we were able, I was able to start a college ministry. And so most of my students in the college ministry were at UF. And UF, if you're a Gators fan, go Gators. If you're not a Gators fan, then pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> it was about a three and a half drive from Orlando to UF. And I would go up there. And as you can see in the picture, we, we would share a meal. There were over 21. I think there may be a beer bottle in that. In that picture, I couldn't crop it out. So <laughs> it is what it is. There were 21. But, but the point was the relationships that we built with the, with the high schoolers gave me cred to build relationships with the college ministry, which allowed me, when they came home for the summer, for me to meet with them every Sunday at my house for Bible study, dinner. I would cook fried chicken and mac and cheese, and we would, we would do prayer together. And as we're sitting around, as we're talking, we, we do life. They share things that they're struggling with. They, they share things about relationships. But it doesn't stop there. As the ministry began to grow from 25 to literally 125 students were coming to Compress from this African-American that can't teach people about Christ. My skate group, these were my outcasts. They would not come on Sunday. You would not see them saying amen, they would not come on Monday night youth group because they're too cool, they didn't come. Sometimes, occasionally, I would see them Wednesday playing Ultimate Frisbee, but ultimately, I, I wouldn't see them. But they were the kids that, and, and probably like downtown Andover, you can't ride your skateboard or your bike probably because it scratches up. They would just ride their skates and they would skate on everything. And so, introduce myself to one and say, hey, won't you come? We have this huge church parking lot. Won't you come and skate on this? Yeah, the elders did not like that I did that. <laughs> so we built a skate park in the, in the church parking lot. And so every Tuesday, without a doubt, they came right after school and they were skating. And I would, of course, order pizza. And from pizza, it turned into literally after six months, they would just come up into the youth room and we would just have pizza. And we would just we would just do life together. But as the ministry began to grow, the people that were, the students that were coming to Christ were quote unquote sinners. I was receiving complaints, and some of the complaints came from the elders that the youth were not, they weren't protecting our China very well. They were chewing bubble gum and putting it underneath the seats. They would be marking things on the pews and going through the Bibles that were unchurched. They don't look like us. They didn't wear ties. Some of them had jeans on. Some of them even, even dare wear shorts and flip-flops. But mind you, it is Florida. Just the way that Jesus calls. So let me set the scene for you. As, as Jesus has finished healing the paralegic Man, the one that was paralyzed, said, take up, your, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and follow him. There was a large crowd following Jesus. And so as Jesus was going by the sea, he sees Levi. Levi is this tax collector that, you know, he embezzles money, he, you know, high interest rates. It's like receiving a letter from the IRS. We do not look forward to seeing IRS letters or phone calls. But Jesus having the reputation of being who he was, he simply said to Levi, follow me. 
So Levi left all that he had. Not only did he follow Christ, but his friends did as well. Now, if you read Luke 5 a little bit earlier, is when Jesus kind of calls his first disciples. So he calls Simon Peter, James, and John, you know, the fisherman story. Unlike them, if they ever left Jesus, if they ever decide, you know what, we want to go back to our former trade and, and, and catch fish, they could do that. Levi could not do that. Once Levi left everything, like he is like he is the known tax collector. Once they figure out, you know, you know how people gossip. Once they figure out that Levi has left and he become a, a Jesus freak, a Jesus lover. He can't go back to being a tax collector. He can't go back to the trade. So when he literally left everything, he left his reputation, he left his job, and, and he's like, I am sold out for Christ. And, and in honor of being sold out for Christ, he had a banquet. But before we get to verses, I want you to look at verse 27. The fact that Jesus saw individuals, he did not see labels. The Pharisees saw labels. They saw a tax collector. They, they saw someone that was embezzling their money, someone that was a sinner. But what Jesus saw was someone that was lost in need of grace. They recognized that Jesus was a righteous man because not only did Levi follow Christ, his friends follow Christ as well. And if you can imagine, if you're a tax collector and you're disliked by people, the, probably the only people you're hanging out with are people like you other tax collector, other people who are stealing, lying, or cheating. The love that Jesus had for sinners, he initiated seeking them out, giving them acceptance in his sight. Levi's response was when he left everything was to have a meal with Jesus. So in verse 29, it says that then Levi held this, this great banquet for Jesus at his house and, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were, were eating with them. They were sharing a meal together. This was no insignificant part of the meal. This wasn't just them sitting at like a formal table passing the great poupon or asking if you would pass the mustard. That, that's was, this wasn't that scene. This was a scene when it says literally they died, there was a banquet, meaning that as Jesus was at the house of Levi and all of his friends were around, it's, it says that they were, they were reclining in Mark's version, as he puts it. The synopsis gospel, you can find it in, in Mark and Matthew. They were reclining and some were kind of were sitting on the, on the floor, but they were in close proximity together. So it's not like at a formal dinner table, like someone's over there and someone sitting here. Jesus was literally rubbing elbows with these folks. He's in so much proximity that as they are serving, they're taking their hand and they're like dipping it like in the mashed potatoes. Can you imagine at Thanksgiving, you sitting next to an in-law you don't like and you dipping your hand and their hand in the mashed potatoes? Not so much. But that was Jesus's ministry. So as, you're, as, as Jesus is, is doing this, the Pharisees come. And the Pharisees is, is like, what is Jesus doing? This is the same Jesus that, that eats with us. And he's eating with them. 
and he has his hand in the food and he's, and he's, he's, he's partaking in, in community with these sinners. To share a meal with someone, in effect, extends a friendship, extends the opportunity to get to know someone. They understood, the Pharisees in their head, for their credit, they understood that the keeping of God's commandment was a serious matter. That bad things would happen when they didn't obey the Torah. Bad things would happen when they wouldn't obey the, the oral law or the written law or the traditions or the rituals. So they would look at these so-called sinners that they wouldn't follow the law. Now, some of them, it's not that they didn't want to follow the law, but they had to make minimum wage. They had to work. And so some of the traditions they simply couldn't do because they just wouldn't, they couldn't survive. So instead of the Pharisees rejoicing that Jesus has more people that he can minister to, the Pharisees are wondering, like, why are you wasting your time with these people? Some of us are like that, where we invite people who are already in Christ. That's great. We, we should disciple people and have those relationships. But what about the people who are not in Christ? What about your neighbor that you complain about that's not in Christ? What about the coworker that you don't like that's not in Christ? What about people in your own family that's not in Christ? What does that look like to extend an invitation to them? Not to the point where they're sitting at the table and you're taking God's word and you're saying, repent ye now and believe the gospel. Stop sinning. Stop having sex. Stop drinking too much. Stop, 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 stop. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus sat next to them. Jesus said, tell me about your day. Tell me about like who you are. Where, where are you from? Jesus created space. Sinners know that they're sinners. My skate group know that they're outcasts. They don't need us. They didn't need me to tell them they were outcasts. I was an outcast in that neighborhood. I could relate. But yet an invitation still needed to be extended. They were concerned that as Jesus was sharing a meal with a tax collector, that it would make Jesus unclean. Remember what happened in Luke 11, 37, 54. You don't have to turn there. I'll give you a quick synopsis. This is later on in the book of Luke that the Pharisees invited Jesus home for a meal. And when the Pharisees noticed that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal, he was surprised because he actually brought it up to Jesus. Can you imagine the Lord and Savior like literally the one that washes away sins, that, that cleanses us. And the Pharisees has the audacity to say, hey, Jesus, do you mind going in the back washroom and washing your hands? They were more concerned about Jesus' hands being clean. So Jesus took that opportunity to teach the Pharisees again about the true application of the law. Jesus pointed out that although someone was eating with, with hands that were, that were dirty, it, it upset it, the Pharisees, but he was more upset that they were indifferent that their heart was dirty, that their heart wasn't for the loss. It was for being legalistic about scripture. Jesus eagerly ate with sinners on earth because he longs to eat with them in heaven. 
Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom in Luke 5, putting together a great banquet meal in Luke 14. If we as Christians can't eat with people not like us here, how are we expect to get people, the lost people, not like us in the presence of glory and the presence of Christ? Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. First, being the savior of the world, he came to those who were in need of a savior. Jesus' intended audience was those who were separated from God, that they would not be lost, but that they would find Jesus viewed sinners as sick people in need of a doctor, not as lawbreakers in need of judgment. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming for all of us. Jesus' ministry was one of restoration and reconciliation and not condemnation. And sometimes and somehow during this generation, and in and, and the world we live in, we are too quick to condemn people. Whether it's the way they talk, the kind of car that they drive, or the lack of their finances. Maybe it's because they wear their hair a certain way. Maybe because they have tattoos. Maybe you think they drink too much. Maybe you think they, they hang out with too many girls or too many guys. Maybe they've gotten an abortion. Maybe they're part of the LGBT community. There's, there's a litany of things that we condemn people with. But can we share a meal with, with them? Can we see them through the eyes of Jesus? Tell me something. What would happen if Jesus was to reveal all of your sins prior to coming to Christ? Not saying you don't sin in Christ, but prior to knowing the Lord and Savior if Jesus was to just have a slideshow of all the things that you don't want people to know. Think about that for a second. Who in your everyday can you share a meal with? Coworker, family member, some, maybe someone in the church. When I was 16 years old, I went to um, St. Um, Basilica in Vatican City. And if you've ever seen um, Michelangelo and in, in some of his, his paintings that he created, there's a, a depiction of a Mary holding um, Jesus in his body after he uh, had died and, uh, and he came down from the cross. And I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, Michelangelo at the very beginning of his career was very poor. And so he couldn't afford the marbles and the stones to actually create that. So what he would do is he would go around and he would have to basically uh, retrieve and take and drag stones that other sculptures had like thrown out because it was either ruined or it had a scratch on it. It, it wasn't perfect. So he would take all of those pieces and he would just one by one, one by one, and he would just drag them back to his place. And, and he has created this 
this, this beautiful masterpiece. See, that's, that's what I think when, when Jesus was inviting the sinners to come and eat, he wasn't seeing them the way they were seeing themselves. He was seeing what they should be. What he was seeing was his, his lost sons and his lost daughters yearning to have a personal relationship, not wanting to be condemned, but, but, but wanting to invite into, into community. As we, we pray in Luke 10 that, that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are, are few, we can't be like the Pharisees. We have to be more like Jesus because there's way too many people in the world that don't know Jesus. There's way too many people in the world that need to know the Lord and Savior. And when they come to Christ, we need to rejoice. Jesus shows us that we should not let cultural norms dictate how we evangelize. The sick need a physician, the lost sheep need a shepherd, and sinners need a savior. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus did not require people to change before coming to him. He sought them out. He met them where they were. He extended grace in all of the circumstances. Change would come to those who accepted Christ, but it would be from the inside out. Romans 2.14, we know that Jesus knew better. He knew that, that the kindness and the love of Christ far exceeds people to come to him than someone on a soapbox yelling, repent now or you're going to go to hell. Jesus was determined to proclaim the good news of forgiveness. When Jesus invited them to come follow him, and then Jesus ate with them, Jesus invites them to repent. And repentance come, and the, the grace of God comes as you are intentionally building relationships with people. That it is at the forefront of your mind. It has less to do about the meal. You can, you can you know, take them to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, but what you're really doing is you're creating community, you're creating a bond, you're creating trust, you're creating openness, you're creating space. So as you are, as they are seeing you, that there's something different about you. Most people would invite me out to lunch. Most people would invite me out to dinner. But there's something, but they see something different in you. And they want to know what that is. But what they're really seeing, they're seeing Christ through you because you're allowing yourself to be an empty vessel being full, filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then those conversations can be, well, what are you doing that, that I'm not doing? Well, let me tell you about a God that saved my life. Let me tell you of how good God has been to me. There's this thing called, called Alpha. Do you, do you want to go? We're having a concert at the church. Do you want to come? We're having a church picnic in a couple of months. Do you want to come to that? It starts by creating space. It starts by by a meal, and, and I guarantee you, I tell you that it works. The results of learning how to eat and drink with sinners, you begin to see people repent and to follow Christ. Annually, up until a few years ago, I would go to North Carolina. So coming, so this is after I have, I've been through three years at Celebration Church. I've, you know, from there I went to a 2700 20, member church 
in Georgia for a year. And, and from there, you know, I did teaching at, at, at North Park. Like, as I was having meals with people and as God was sending me different places, I realized that I have literally, I have like a network of young people across this country that is in love with Jesus. And it all started just by me having a meal with people. So this is a picture of North Carolina. They had just lost their youth pastor. And as I was getting, getting my, my doctorate, and just so you know, the only reason I got a doctorate in pastoral counseling is because of the three years that I spent at Celebration in Florida, those students were messed up. Like I had middle schoolers that were smoking weed at seven. I had sixth graders that were drinking liquor from their mother's cabinet because their, boy, their, their mother's boyfriend was sleeping over. There, there was so much dysfunction in this white rich church that it took someone from the inner city to connect with their kids to let them know that the same God that got me away from the inner city in South Central, the same God that can heal them in rich celebration in Florida. So when you have a meal with someone and you create space for them to open up their heart, what you need to do is to listen and to allow the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say. So this picture in North Carolina, annually I would, I would do this discipleship now group and like it was in Pikeville. I've never even heard of such thing. I, like I know of Charlotte and Riley, but it's in Pikeville. And they heard of me and they flew me out and I would spend like four, the normal is a four day weekend, we'd do it on our um, Martin Luther King Day. And I would do ministry every other year, I would go and do, and, do, and do D group. And then from there, I got this invitation for a great escape summer camp to, to speak to just like about a hundred like middle schoolers about Christ. And as people, as and, and normally, you know, when you're, when you're a guest speaker and you have all these students and they're coming from all over the country and you, you only have like a certain amount of time as, as a speaker, but you know that I knew that like as a speaker, I have the platform. And so students will look at me differently. So I have to watch like what I say, whether I'm joking, I have to watch what I, everything I do, I have to make sure that I'm, what I, it's, it's a representative of who Christ is. And I remember come Wednesday, so we would start on Sunday, and we would kind of break the ice, and then Monday, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday was, was the night we invite students to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and, as, and as middle schoolers are confessing Christ, they are opening up to strangers. Like, I'm a stranger to them, but, but to them, I'm someone that they can say is that, like, I'm sad that my, both my parents have died. Where's Jesus in that? Or I'm, I'm, I'm sad because I don't, I don't have any friends and I'm, I'm lonely. It all starts with just with listening, creating space. You don't have to know the words to say. You don't have to have all the Bible memorized. And then lastly is when God sent me to Africa for the first time, to Nigeria. I kid you not. I was, I was totally afraid to go to Africa. One of the things that God had to work on me from is that I actually was afraid that if I, when I went to Nigeria, that they would think that I was Nigerian and they wouldn't let me back into the country. And I was just like deathly afraid. And, and, and I know that that's not, that's not something that God placed in my heart is we should like, we should fear nothing, let alone when God says, go, go. 
And so we had missionaries there that had never been checked on in about 20 years of this church. And so they sent me there to check, to, to check on the missionaries, but to lead a conference with these students. And lo and behold, I, it took about 20 hours to get there. And then it took another eight hours to drive from like um, the, the airport, Nigeria, to this like little town called Josh, J-O-S. And lo and behold, the, all, the, all the students that I was speaking to, they were all white. And, and I was like, all right, Lord, you have a sense of humor. These were, these were all the students, all their parents are missionaries. And, and so they asked me to come from America to, to, one, to encourage them and to hang out with them for two weeks and to preach to them. And, and I'm thinking, this is like, this is, this is so unreal. And, and so, so this is us like at the last day before, before I go that, that I was like, man, this is, this is such a cool experience. And I kid you not that like that next year, like they flew me back out and then we did it all over again. And so like until this day, some of these students are, are back in the country and we're friends on Facebook. When they come in the area, like we connect because they remember. And, and, and just so you know, there's not a lot of meals that go on in Nigeria, but they do have Coca-Cola. And it's the good Coke because it has like that sweet sugar in it. And having a cold Coke on a really hot day in Nigeria, secretly talking about Christ in a little small room because you can't openly speak about Christ in certain areas, certain Muslim areas. Man, that was powerful. Images that I will never forget. Just me, them, a bottle of Coke, and Jesus doing life together. And all it starts with an invitation, a meal, let's go out to coffee, let's do life. Amen? Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you called us to, to do ministry. We thank you for, for loving us and for giving us for our sins, Lord. Lord, as we go to and from, whether it's at work or at our home or just in the grocery store, that we would have eyes to see people the way you see people. That we wouldn't just see the outcast, we wouldn't just see the sinner, but we would see the loss in need of a savior. So Lord, open our eyes that we would see, open our hands that we would be willing, and open our heart to have compassion and to have love that you showed your people and that you have showed us. Lord, we aren't perfect, but we know with your help that we can lead as many people to you as possible. So we ask, Lord, that as, as we are in this place, that we would not leave today the same way that we came, that we would leave with a new heart, new eyes, new hands, a wanting to invite people to a meal, just one meal, just one opportunity. Provide that one opportunity this week for everyone in this room. Doesn't matter how it looks, one opportunity to know who you are. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.